This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. Uh, man, it's it's not necessarily an exciting episode. Uh, it's actually one that's going to take quite a bit of somber hearts. Uh, it's going to be a difficult episode to get through as we're talking about uh, Michael's story and how he got uh, fired. It's not going to be... Uh, a fun story to get through, but I do think it'll be helpful and fruitful for conversations moving forward. Uh, but yeah, I hope you guys stay tuned and enjoy this video. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Excellent, excellent. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Like I said, I've got a good episode looking up in front of you. But before I tell you, hey, this is what you can expect in this episode, I want to turn it over to Michael to let you know about the things that you can expect uh, coming up in the coming weeks. Very soon. Yeah, you almost have to clarify. You've got the Michael and the Michael. But um, yeah, so coming up uh, tomorrow, uh, we have Dr. Spiegel coming in from Dallas Theological Seminary. And we're going to talk about the Shepherd of Hermas. Uh, and it's a early Christian document. Uh, it was not part of the scripture. We're going to talk all things shepherd uh, uh, tomorrow. And then Wednesday, uh, really excited about this episode. I've been working on it. Um, talking about Jonathan Edwards on manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And he sort of did an evaluation and a review of how do you know when a manifestation, whether it's convulsing, whether it's visions, whether it's, uh, you know, the crazy things that seem to happen in revivals sometimes. Uh, how do we know it's of the Holy Spirit or of the devil or somebody's making it up? And so uh, Jonathan Edwards did a whole work on that called The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we're going to talk about that on Wednesday on our series uh, to be continued at 4 p.m. But for now, uh, uh, really, this is an interesting episode, uh, a different kind of episode, I should say, for us. And um Michael Miller is going to share some of his story and is uh, one of Michael's uh, good friends for a very long period of time, something that he and I have processed uh, over the course of, what, two plus years. And um, Michael has not been public about this, uh, about this story. He's just now sharing it. And, um, and, and even, Michael, before you share this story, we just would, would like to hear more like, why do you want to share this story? Why? Do you feel like God's calling you to share this story? Um, maybe just kind of lay some preliminary groundwork for why you're talking about why you're ta- what you're talking about. Because you were silent about it for a long time. Yeah, um, well, silent-ish, I would say. Like, I've never like preached a sermon where I talked about it or uh, shared it on the remnant. And I think, um, I mean, I, I have talked about it, but it's been mostly with people who have sort of defected and left the same community. And even those who are in it that are leaders, uh, I've talked to them about it. Uh, 
that are still friends of mine um, because I think it's good that they know this kind of stuff. Um, and so why today? Well, I mean, there, there hasn't been, I mean, a, hardly a month has gone by in the last two and a half years since being fired where I haven't had somebody reach out to me who's left and is trying to make sense of the pain that they've experienced. And then um, personally, it was such a painful time for my wife and I and our kids. Um, and I learned a great deal uh, because of it. And so I, I think what I've learned from it is probably the most valuable part to what I can share today. Um, you know, I have to get into some of the, the details to help you make sense of like uh, why I would share this um, or, or like or, or to make sense of the lessons themselves. So. Um, that's probably the biggest part. My hope is that those who are on the inside of that church organization or church organization like this, uh, that, that, and we, we, we use the word NAR, obviously, and we'll define a little bit what that is and what that isn't, and why I would term this church that I was a part of NAR. Um, but uh, my hope is that those who are on the inside would see it and go, wow, yeah, that's wrong. And, and maybe there's some reform. Uh, and if there's not reform, hey, where can I go to church that's going to be uh, healthy? And, and have the, the right kind of ecclesiology to, to promote health as best as we can. Now, I know on some level that um, every ministry, every church is going to create pain because we've got people who are sinners in the midst of it, right? Um, but what can we do as best as we are able to mitigate that pain? And so I think this episode will help do that. Uh, I also think uh, for those who have been hurt, um, and church hurt to me is, is some of the worst kind of hurt you can experience, um, that it'll help make sense of their pain and, and help them to go, oh, wow, this is why I experienced what I experienced. And I now I know what what is healthy and what is not and how to avoid that kind of pain in the future. Not that we can avoid all pain. Obviously, we're going to have plenty of that in this life. But um, again, it's about mitigating that pain. Okay. So, so this is an episode you're, you're wanting to help mitigate certain people's pain who are maybe going to a, a church that resembles some of the features that you thought were, uh, were not good in this church. So you've kind of talked about what this episode is going to be about. What is it not going to be about? Maybe you could give some clarification on that. Sure. Side, because I could understand how somebody watching this might say, well, okay, you get fired church guy and he wants to go on and he wants to tell everybody all the bad things about you know his church that he went to and, and this could be like a scorched earth session this could be sure uh, a vengeance session and fired employees usually don't have positive impressions of no doubt. the organization that they just departed yeah, yeah. from so um, so help us understand what this is not help us understand your heart in this and uh, even your heart for your former church yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I imagine the accusation would be, well, he's just bitter and hurt, and that's why he's sharing the story. And um, on some level, uh, I'm going to say I have been bitter and I have been hurt. Uh, and there are things that I've done even in my bitterness I'm not proud of. Um, but in this, I'm, I've done the best I can, and I, I've waited. I mean, you guys have wanted me to share about this for a lot longer than, uh, uh, you know, like last week or something. Um, and I, I've refrained from doing that partly because I wanted to make sure as best as I'm able that my heart is clean before God in doing that. Um, knowing that it's never going to be pure, that I, I don't expect a that I have some sort of uh, entirely 100% pure motivation in what I do. But as much as I'm able to, to see myself rightly and 
And I've asked the input of others to help me see myself rightly that I'm not to, to, to do this in such a way that it's not going to be about punishing the organization I was a part of or seeking some sort of retribution. So um, this is not that. This is not a character assassination of anybody. Um, this is not about um, uh, defaming them. Um, this is mostly about what I've learned and what I think is healthy. So, okay. And what and, I guess we think is healthy. And it's some of the discovery process of having been fired and, and what I've learned is healthy after the fact. So, okay. So Michael, do you want to, should, should we spend some time kind of trying to define what, what is the NAR? What is in the NAR yeah. stands for a new apostolic reformation. Um, the kind of where you're categorizing this as loosely NAR, because again, you see uh, many similarities uh, that have been identified mm-hmm. by Doug and Holly in their books on the new apostolic reformation and the similarities in which you found yourself uh, in with your, your former church. Uh, yeah. And, and actually I'll, I'll kind of lean on you to help define what NAR is and what NAR isn't. Uh, you know, I, I, when I first heard that term, it was on Michael uh, Heiser's podcast yeah, and I was sorely offended because I felt like there were broad strokes being painted, people being misrepresented. I know that my mentor, Jack Deere was called NAR and I'm like, he is not NAR. Right. Right. Uh, you know, Jack, Jack preaches a plurality of elders. Um, I know cause I was in his church when he preached on it. Um, and so you know, the, the reason, uh, so yeah, why don't you do that, Josh? Why don't you explain what NAR is and what NAR isn't? Yeah, so, so a few, a few, because the... I think it's a helpful category, but it's not necessarily official organization. Right. So, so there's, there is a bit of confusion when we talk about the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, some want to say, hey, the NAR is not this like shadow clandestine organization that exists, you know, that they keep denying that they exist, but they actually really do. And there's a group of people saying, no, you guys really do exist. That's not exactly what's happening. Um, uh, I like to use the illustration of you go to an evangelical church somewhere in the West and you ask an average person of the church that's been raised there their entire life, say, hey, man, are you dispensational? They go, what's a dispensational? Like, I, I don't know what that means. No, I'm not dispensational. I have no clue. I've never heard of that. And then you go, do you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? And they go, yeah. Like, what's God's plan for Israel? They're God's chosen people. You go, you're dispensational, right? Like, like you know, you, you can ask a couple of questions and get the answers, even though they don't have the category, right? So there is this category of thinking called the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, there are people who have been placed in that category, again, uh, by certain belief systems. Uh, and, and Doug and Holly kind of coined those. A lot of people have taken that label NAR and have used it as this broad brush, stroking everyone as NAR. And even we would agree that Doug and Holly, trying to look in on the Pentecostal charismatic movement, often pe- get people in their crosshairs that don't actually qualify under those standards. You mentioned Jack Deere. He was mentioned in their book as someone being NAR. It's very far from NAR. It, it, is, it could not but, be the uh, furthest from NAR. He associates with NAR people sometimes because the reality is in the charismatic Pentecostal community, there's so much NAR going on that if you're going to have associations within the charismatic Pentecostal community, you're going to run across that sometimes. Yeah, we're, we're going to have NAR yeah. guys on this, yeah. on this and, channel. And there's just that tender balance of like you like you, you don't want to just not associate with everybody because you just have such a, yeah. a thin definition of what's permissible, what's okay. And, and a lot of times people want you <laughs> showing off your coffee mug. Yeah, there. I am. That is pretty impressive. Um Anyway, so yes, we you, thought we we loved Doug and Holly's book, but we did think it painted with too broad of a brush stroke, stroke sometimes. Anyway, let me get to some of those categories. What what does the the New Apostolic Reformation stand for? Um, they have a hierarchical system of leadership that is 
pinpointed on one senior leader. So that's point one, right? That one, that one senior leader is the senior pastor. The people that are underneath that senior pastor come up underneath his vision, his mission for that local church. Um, and oftentimes they will have an apostolic oversight that is over their church. Uh, some big charismatic leader, um, maybe a Bethel, maybe an IHOP, maybe a some kind of external guy that everyone in the community looks up to that kind of is like, they call them spiritual oversight. They have no real authority inside of the local church, but there is a belief to be like this spiritual covering that comes on the church, secret powers and manifestations that happen when you submit yourself to a local apostle. I, I apologize that again, again, I'm painting with a broad brush here, uh, but and it's this just is nar-ish. Say, nar-ish. These are some of the nar-ish yeah. things that go on. Um, so it's not to say that every church um, you know, believe that there's some kind of powerful manifestation when they come underneath. But you will, if you start talking about spiritual overflow, lots of them are like, yep, I'm submitted. That's the guy that I'm submitted to. I have spiritual overflow from his life. You'll hear them talk like this mm-hmm. frequently. Uh, another marker. So you've got apostolic leaders. You've got, you know, uh, a senior, a hierarchical structure within the local church. In addition to that, they're typically spiritual practices that are formed that are exterior from the scriptures. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they mentioned in their book, things such as uh, governmental warfare, spiritual prayer, spiritual uh, the, the spiritual mapping, uh, the courts of heaven was categorized in their book, which I think is well within the realm of the new apostolic reformation. Uh, another thing that they mentioned that I, I thought was helpful as well uh, when they were going through their book, um, I mentioned it just a second ago. Mm. It's slipping from me. Uh, you ever have those thoughts that are just like they're right there? All the time. And you can't. Okay. I, well, uh, uh, spit something out. I probably remember, but yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. It's all uh, good. Keep so going. no, so uh, oh yeah, that's what it was. It was prophets and apostles have unique unique authority, like this ontological authority to do specific things that normal Christians people can't do. So yes. like you have to warfare in spiritual heavenly places, but only certain prophets only a, and certain only apostles, apostles and prophets can do that. That's right. Only apostles yeah. and prophets can like speak over certain geographical spirits. Not not average Christians can do that. They have a special kind of authority and power. So all of those are NAR-ish yeah, and, things. And I think within that, you mentioned the hierarchical structure. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to mention on that, that the plurality of elders submits to the apostle. That's right. And and so what happens in a NAR church is there's usually, there's pretty much one person who's over the church. Now, there are churches outside of NAR world, outside of charismatic Pentecostal world, who do that too. That's right. Right? Uh, and there are people who may technically have a plurality of elders, but they're all yes men. Yep. And, um, and there's one de facto leader who it's like, you submit to that leader's vision. That leader's vision is the only thing that goes, everything submits to that. Nobody can push back on vision. Nobody can push back upon the leader's behavior. If the leader does something questionable, no one can question it. The leader is basically God to that congregation. No, I mean, it's just uh, a mini pope. It's a mini pope. It's a yeah. mini pope. Yeah. yeah. They, just have a, they have a smaller sphere of influence, but right. they speak ex cathedra. And again, that can happen outside of NAR. That's right. <laughs> As you mentioned, Roman Catholicism. That's right. But, um, but, and in my personal opinion, that's maybe the most dangerous aspect of the NAR is, uh, is a singular individual with uh, mass authority. Yeah, one, one pylon of authority. And, and with all of this, when we talk about those, there can be a lot of things that are NAR-ish that aren't really the NAR. And again, like to explain Jack Deere, did he hang out with guys that are in NAR? 
Absolutely. Is he still friends with people that are in the NAR? Absolutely. Uh, does Jack Deere believe that apostles and prophets have unique authority? No. Uh, does yeah. Jack Deere have a, a, a plurality of elders at this church that you are now pastoring at? Yes, he did. You know, uh, does he believe in spiritual mapping and, and spiritual warfare? No, he did not. Right. So, so literally it's no strike on every single one of those. And there might be some of us that, ha that go to churches that might have one of those things that are in error. And we would just say, Hey, go confront those things. Um, but man, if there's all of those things that are in place, that's a very, yeah. it's a very difficult conversation in a culture that it's going to take a lot of time to uproot. Right. And yeah. it might and be easier. We, I don't think we mentioned about like, gosh, we could just keep on going, but um, maybe this make this the last thing, but just sure. uh, the way the Bible is taught. Oh it, yeah. There, there's, there's not, um, it, there's not an expository element to it, really. It's uh, often like, you know, God showed me, and here's a verse for that. Yep. Yeah. Know? Here's the season that we're in right now. I just, I've got this feeling, you know, I'm reading these verses about Mary and Elizabeth giving birth to these two children. And, and Mary, she gets this revelation from an angelic encounter uh, because she's whole and pure. And, and, you know, so we got to posture ourselves in holiness and purity. And then we'll birth a season of revival in us. And then there's another group of people, they're like Elizabeth. And, you know, Elizabeth, she gets a birth because there's an angelic visitation for her too, but that comes in between the altar of incense and the table of showbread. So you've got to be in a position between the prayer and the word so that you right. can like, so they so just it, spiritualize it, it everything. Has, it's really convoluted. It, it yeah. has <laughs> the appearance of Bible teaching. So, but yeah. what it really is, is it's somebody's prophetic word using the Bible. That's right. And so what happens is people will go to a, a church like this week after week and, and and we're planning, we're just talking broad brushstroke about NAR churches. And Miller, we'll hear about your experience here in a minute. But um, but at NAR churches, it's prophetic words with Bible verses kind of smattered in. But there's not really a respect for um, here's the grammatical context. Here's uh, here's the historical context. Here's what this verse meant to its original hearers, and therefore means for us. It's just straight to here's my church vision. Yeah. And and I used a story about Mary to share my church vision. Right, right, right. You know, so all, all that to say, that's what we were going to say. That's in a category that we're using for NAR. There's a lot of people who would hear those things and say, I believe many of those things, but I don't want to call myself NAR. Like, I get it. It's just a helpful category for thinking um, to saying, and, and just as Doggy, D D Doug and Holly said, the NAR aren't heretics. They're actually Christian brothers that are actually playing with a level of error that is concerning to the rest of us and that we want to say like, hey, that's not helpful. And like we, we would like to see this changed using their language and their vocabulary kind of as the authors in the NAR space. We're not saying that NAR people are heretics. We're not saying that they're unbelievers. We're saying that they're they're believing things that hurt people, that rob God of glory, and they don't benefit the body of Christ. So we want to try to confront those things in love to say that there is a better way, a more of a Priscilla and Aquila teaching Apollos more accurately, not so much a, you know, repent and believe, you know. I uh, want to make sure that we have that kind of clearly yeah, articulated we, we wanna, as well. We want to bless the body of Christ with this ultimately. Yeah. So. Uh, so Miller, yeah. let's let's get into your story a little bit, and um, I don't know. Do you want to jump right into your story? Do you want to share why your church you feel like fit these categories? Maybe just tell yeah. your story and kind of talk about the categories we'll as you go. It, it'll come up. Sure, sure. Um, well, I, I want to say also on the front side that I, I don't think everything you guys just described. Not all of that was a part of the church I was a part of. Um, sure. There were certainly elements of it that very much were a part of the organization. Um, and so, and, and the other thing is, is even though we highly disagree with some of these NAR churches, um, or organizations, 
that doesn't mean everything they're doing is bad either. Like in, in the organization I was a part of, there was a lot they did right when it came to, to prayer and worship. They, they, I love that. And I would they love to emulate in my own church today, what I learned from that there. So, I mean, they, they really do knock that out of the park and, and it's worth taking note of. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, it's not like it was all bad. Um, uh, and, and I think that's worth mentioning. So, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure where to start in my story. Um, I, I, I sort of give some background to what led up to me being fired because that, that sort of explains all that took place. Um, and this was an incredibly difficult thing for me. So I don't know how well I'll get through it and how concise I'll be. And, and my hope and my prayers that, that I, I share the necessary details and leave out the unnecessary ones um, for, the, for the sake of it not being about uh, a character assassination, right? So that's right. Um, so I, I had, I was pastoring, I was a part of the organization from, from very beginning, um, you know, back when we were just meeting in an apartment and uh, to be fair, like one of the, I bought into a lot of this stuff. You know, one of the first books we all read was culture of honor. And, uh, and we thought, wow, this is the vision God has for the church today. Um, you've got to have this fivefold thing with an apostle at the top and, and then, um, and a prophet so that they can get the, the special vision from heaven so that we can get everything we need from heaven here on earth. And, and the, the message is also the, and again, not that Danny Silk, the guy who wrote culture of honor is wrong about everything. I think he's very wrong about this. And I think it leads to danger because the implication is if you don't have that kind of ecclesiology, then you won't actually get all that heaven has for us today. And so, um, you know, what was happening in the language that was being used is, is God has given us a blueprint for a new kind of community. And uh, this, this new blueprint, this new vision is, is going to be what ushers in revival on some level. And so, uh, and, and realize that I bought into it. And anybody who bucked up against it, I, I would, you know, be the guy, the theological guy to kind of come at them and, and really show them why they were wrong. And so there's a lot that I, I have regrets about uh, from my time there. Um, now, what happened was I, I had moved. I, I had been a part of all the churches that we had planted on some level and uh, had moved back to the, the, the area where it all started to help oversee a new uh, church community. And when I got there, I realized pretty quickly that things were not what I thought they were, and things had changed quite drastically. And I found myself seeing people get hurt and trying to reconcile why it is that they're getting hurt and how this could be taking place. And I was being hurt as well. And there was a whole series of exits of people that had been there since early on, Um, you know, guys that I very much loved. And when they left, uh, you know, the, the explanation given to me was, well, they just didn't get the vision of the church. And I'm going, well, maybe I don't get the vision either because I don't see that with them. Like it was very confusing. And I, and then I would sit down with those leaders and just hear their side of the story. And then when I would hear what they had to say, I'd go, oh man, I, I'm experiencing that too. Uh, and, and some of those things were that the apostle at the top, things like he doesn't listen. And, um, and when I try to confront him, it, it just gets dismissed and there's really nothing I can do about that. And so it was just a, it was a painful thing. And so hold on, but I, didn't, this, didn't y'all have elders though? Uh, yeah, well, that, that's an interesting thing. So 
yes, we had elders, but it depends what you mean by elders. Um, so in that community, an elder really just served as a, a deacon. At the end of the day, like I would have, I would biblically, I would say that they weren't really elders, that they were functionally deacons. They were responsible for just uh, pastoring people, meeting with those who are hurting, um, but they had no decision-making power. Um, and if they did, they didn't know it. Uh, and so th- that's, you know, so kind of say, a, a tricky... You would say they were local church servants who did not govern either the day-to-day or the overarching mission or direction of the local church, that they were deacon is table server, um, elder is overseer, holding people accountable, leading and guiding. Yeah, they, Those shep- the they shepherd the church, Acts 20, yeah. 28. So, um, so yeah, they're, they're shepherds involved in leading things in the church, leading people in the church, laying down their life for the church, very intimately, intricately involved in the church and its leadership. First Timothy 5, 17, the elders, uh, are to direct the affairs of the church. Um, and so what it sounds like what you're saying is the elders served, but they didn't do those things. Yeah. So I, I mean, let me clarify here. So I was, I uprooted my family. I moved them to a different city and I was asked, I was put on the, uh, the board that oversaw sort of the whole organization. And two weeks into it, I guess maybe one or two meetings into it, I realized pretty quickly that there's only one person on that board that has any decision-making power. And that was the apostle. And, uh, or what everybody called the apostle. apostle. Uh, yes and no. Uh, he would certainly say he was apostolic and people certainly recognized him as the apostle in the way that we would, you know, when you read culture of honor, that person is the one responsible for determining the vision of the community. And, uh, that was definitely his role. Um, now would he call himself an apostle, like one of the 12? No. Um, so, but, but, but the point is there was only one person making decisions, uh, and everything was under that. And, and, and that person having the sole responsibility for determining vision gave him the, uh, the, uh, trump card for all decisions that could be made. So, uh, you know, here I am at overseeing a church, a church that, that, uh, nobody on that board was actually at except for me. And um, yet, and I was supposed to be responsible for hiring, firing, uh, making those decisions for that community. And, um, and then when I would try to make certain decisions, I would get overridden um, if, if the apostle felt like that wasn't the right decision to make. And so I found myself trying to do my job with my hands tied behind my back going, okay, uh, here's what I think would be healthy, but you know, I have to submit to that person and their vision. Okay, so um, cool. And I know you to be somebody who's not afraid of confrontation. So what no, would happen? That seems fair. What would happen when you would bring this to your t- to their attention, or did you keep it silent? What what happened? Because you brought a couple things uh, to their attention. Yeah, I did. Um, so I I made a decision. I watched two big exits of of leaders that were a part of the community, and. Well, three sort of. Um, and when those leaders left and I heard their story, I was like, this is wrong. And uh, I had also mentioned some things that I had experienced in one of the communities that felt like bullying 
Uh, I felt like the people who were being chosen as leaders uh, and as oversight on some level uh, were not being chosen based on jo- chosen based on a biblical criteria or any sort of like on ramp of training, but it was usually done through the prophetic word that the apostolic leader had. And so when I tried to mention the bullying I, bullying I experienced, it was just like it fell on deaf ears and the subject would change. And so uh, I finally decided, okay, I'm going to write an email. And in that email, I'm going to confront the, the main leader about three particular areas that I saw that were problematic. Um, and, and then one particular thing that I had an offense about, like that, that was literally hurting me. And uh, and because I wanted to deal with it. And um, those issues were that I felt like we didn't have any um, discipleship uh, or outward expression in the community to fill the Great Commission. Um, That the language that we use was stuff like, you know, if Jesus is raised up, he'll draw all men to himself. And and that was sort of prophetic way of talking. Like if we just worship God and we pray, then people will magically get saved. Um, And so there was no formal... Uh, form of evangelism. Uh, what we did have at one point was now gone and there was no room to, to bring that into place that everything was being prioritized to serve prayer and, and worship, which was sort of the vision that this, the, uh, apostolic leader had. So that was a main issue. Um, another one was that the board itself didn't have any decision-making power, that they were all a group of glorified counselors. And, um, and then, uh, uh, what was the third issue? And then, you know, part of it was also how leaders were being chosen, uh, it being done by prophetic utterance, not really by by any kind of scriptural rubric. And then um, the personal offense was that I just didn't feel like I was being listened to. That when I mentioned the abuse that I had gone through and the dysfunction I had experienced under certain leaders, that that got just carte blanche ignored and never addressed. And so I sent this email. And then I had a meeting and I sent it to the apostolic leader and one of the other elders that was on the elder board um, and uh, uh, the wife, because the wives were also elders, uh, or at least uh, his wife was. And so um, the response I got was this, you just don't trust me. Somehow there's been trust that's been broken and you just don't trust me and you're not addressing that. Now, when I wrote that email, I actually trusted him completely. I uprooted my family and moved my family across the country twice because of how much I trusted that leader. Uh, I really did believe that that a leader was apostolic and and was a visionary that I should get behind. And 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 so when I wrote that email, I thought I was addressing a friend and the concerns I had about my friend. Um, but it was met with "you just don't trust me," and then everything I had said was just dismissed. And, um, and it was like, it just fell on. And and when you say everything, sometimes when we're in conflict, we want to say everything or nothing. Did they receive, you always, did they receive some of the things that you said? Was there anything where they said, you know what? I see some truth in that. Uh, well, one of the things I mentioned was I felt like that apostolic leader didn't trust me. And one of the other elders pointed that out and say, I think there's truth to that. And, uh, but it never got addressed. It never got owned. Um, and then when it came to the outward expression, like that issue, like the, the, the lack of evangelism that was not addressed when it came to, uh, the personal offense I had of that person not listening to me, uh, that was not addressed. And, 
Um, and at, at the end of the meeting, the other elder that was there uh, basically said, well, it sounds like this is unresolved and had to leave. And so then there was never, it was never really picked up. Um, one of the other elders, and, and when I say elder, I got to remember these functionally elders, right? Like they're, they're not real elders. They're, they're functionally deacons. You're, you're identifying so, them by their title, not their actual office. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, I, I had another meeting with one of the elders from my church who was there and, and that one just as well got dismissed. Oh, I was also bringing up stuff about my salary and having been underpaid for years and just struggling to get by and, and feeling like that was a, a common problem. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, to this day, the only thing I can think of that was really addressed was the, at least by one of the other elders, but not by the person I was bringing the accusation against, uh, was the bit about him not trusting me. Michael, um, remind me, so, didn't you have like the elders, didn't they switch elders like overnight in this story? Yeah. Like you came in one day and there was just like... Not overnight, but... Yes. Yeah, can you so, explain that process to me? Because that's going to play into uh, yes. this reconciliation meeting that's about to happen. Yeah. So... um in that time, there was a couple of things that happened. I wrote the email. Uh, I get a phone call. And I, I remember this to this, like, it was very vivid because my wife and I were driving to um, Austin for Thanksgiving. And I was given this phone call at on, on a Tuesday. And I was basically told by the apostolic leader, hey, you're, you're talking about me and you're dishonoring me. And that needs to stop. And I was like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm dishonoring you, that absolutely needs to stop. And, uh, and when it came to the future, there was a hire I wanted to make. And the person was like, uh, I'm okay with this hire. I'm not okay with you moving into the next year. And I'm thinking to myself, okay. And I just repeated the words back. Okay. You're okay with this hire. You're not okay with me moving into the next year. That sounds very serious. And he was like, yes, that's very serious. So, Right around the same time that that conversation, and there was no clarification. It was just the end of the conversation. And I was just like, okay. Um, around the same time, like I, I guess a few weeks later after we we do meet and uh, have that, that initial confrontation uh, after the email I had sent, um, that board that I was on is dismantled. So the, the board that's supposed to oversee the whole organization no longer am I a board member. No longer are any of them board members. And I watched little by little as my own authority began to get diminished. And so I was one of the guys that would go to the other churches because we had a few churches in our organization and I would teach. I was known as sort of the teacher in the fivefold thing, right? And I was told that I would no longer be on that teaching faculty. And it's because I don't preach the vision of the organization. And uh, that's what needs to be emphasized. Which is worship and, and prayer. Which is worship and prayer. So basically, I didn't, I didn't spend every sermon teaching on this worship and prayer. And in the same breath that I'm removed, the apostolic leader tells me what I am preaching right now on worship and prayer is the tip of the spear of what God wants to do in this organization. And so... He, he was teaching what was right. And what I was teaching was really not useful for this community. And so I found myself going, just feeling super undervalued, um, wondering like, you know, what do I have to do to get back in good graces here? 
because I just felt like, you know, I was spinning my wheels. And so when I got that, that convert, so the, the board gets dismantled, I get taken off of the teaching faculty. And, um, and so at this point, and then I get that, that call that's sort of mis like really confusing. Like, are you threatening my job? Is that what's going on here? Uh, are you threatening to replace me with the guy I want to hire? Uh, I, I just didn't know. And so I start looking for other jobs. I'm like, this is it. He's not hearing me. And there's a track record of this. I've watched, uh, you know, several people begin to leave and their authority in the same way get diminished or their decisions get overridden and, um, and they're gone and, and they don't just leave the, their jobs. They leave the church. Um, and a lot of their story gets completely hushed over and their side of the story never really gets told. And so, so that was, that was sort of the beginning of the end for me. I guess that email I wrote. Was and when you the say the their story me. was hushed over, do you mean, did they have, did they sign a non-disclosure agreement where they, um, strongly encouraged not to tell anybody Were they, um, were they overtly hushed in some way? And was there some kind of spin put on it in the announcement? Like, Hey, these people left because, um, maybe this, that, or the other. And, and you knew like a, it was not a true story or it was an exaggerated story. Like when you say it was hushed, what do you mean? I mean, the story that was told from the front was not the entire story that, uh, the first guy to leave, who, who's still a friend of mine to this day, um, he was squeezed out. His position was taken from him, given to somebody else. And then they were told, then he was told that he can take this position, a position he wasn't really, uh, desirous of, nor was he, uh, really qualified for on some level. And so, uh, he just found another job and moved on. And so what they said was, ah, you know, God has just called this person elsewhere. And never mind the fact that his job was actually taken from him. And the reason why is because the main leader, um, I, I think it scared him. I mean, again, I'm, 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 you know, giving you my own guess on some level of motivation, which probably is not the best idea to do. Yeah, but I would say that, maybe that, just that that's, what that, with, that's what that guy felt. Sticking with the facts of it, the facts would be you knew that. I mean, I mean, so I want to offer some pushback for a moment, Michael. Could sure, it be sure. okay? Like, could it be that there was something like just from a leadership level that they didn't want to embarrass him or that they didn't want to, you know, like put certain parts of his story out there that, you know, maybe there was something they didn't like about his leadership and they just didn't want to advertise to everybody what they viewed as a deficiency in him. Was there, was there something like this going on or did it, it, in your estimation, was it, was it really just, um, trying to protect themselves? Uh, well, behind closed doors, I was told he wasn't a team player because he wouldn't take the position that he didn't want and that he, and there was no real reason given for why his position was taken away from him. Uh, other than it, that it was. And then the second thing I was told, so he wasn't a team player. The second thing I was told was he didn't get the vision of the church and the vision of the church, I think is probably the main thing. Um, because, uh, when I got fired, that's apps, that was the reason I was also given, um, that we had competing visions. Okay. So that, that's what so I know. Tell me, tell me about this meeting. Cause you're, you're there. We're leading up to what you told me was called a, a reconciliation meeting. Um, yes. you know, Hey, well, we're, I was told it would be, we're going to, we're going to fix this. We're going to, we're going to work through it. I mean, that's what reconciliation means. I think, uh, unpack that story for us and explain to us sure. what, what that looked like. 
Yeah. So I get a, so this all took place with over like around a five month span. Um, the board gets dismantled, like taken off the teaching faculty and I'm just looking for another job and trying to put my nose to the grind, uh, at the church I was overseeing and just do the best I can to be faithful there until I found something else. Um, so I get a phone call. Well, first I, I find out that there's a new board that's been created and that new board has been unilaterally chosen by that apostolic leader, just like it was unilaterally disbanded by that apostolic leader. And I get a phone call from him saying, Hey, I want to bring the new board into uh, our conflict with one another uh, because you're dishonoring me and you're talking about me. And again, no examples were given of what I've said or who I said it to. Um, and, and in the back of my head, like I'm thinking to myself, well, surely I've talked about him. Uh, like there's, there's gotta be truth to that. Like I'm trying to process it. I, I was going counseling. I was sleeping two hours a night trying to make sense of everything that was going on. And, um, and so I, I started going counseling to kind of figure out like, what, what is in me that's allowing me to, to, to be so unsettled and so unhappy in this organization. And, you know, and so I, uh, I, I get this phone call. You're talking about me. I want to bring the new or new board into this to, to help us work through our conflict. And I'm thinking, well, this is a really good sign. You know, hopefully this new board has some decision-making power and hopefully this new board can bring about reconciliation. Like I, so on some level I'm, I'm terrified because uh, I think, am I losing my job? Uh, on another level, I'm excited because I'm thinking maybe there's hope. Maybe we will have some really good positive change in reconciliation. And so, um, I mean, I could, my, my composure when I was around them was really, it was hard to be around that leader. Like every time I would see them, I would just kind of break down and freeze up because I just didn't know what was in front of me. So then I get an email from that board saying, Hey, um, you know, the, the apostolic leader has, has asked for you to us to intervene and sort of help mediate, uh, a reconciliation between the two of you. Uh, so we want to invite you to a meeting. Here's the date. Here's the place. Here's the time. Um, and uh, you and your wife are invited to join us for that. So then I, I call one of the new board members who I knew. And I said, hey, I just want to be really clear. Like, what is this about? Uh, you know, it, am I going to be heard? Is my side of the story going to even be heard? It's like, absolutely. And he, the words out of his mouth were, this is not a board of yes men. Okay. Then the day before the meeting, I get another email from a different board member that board member says in the email, uh, Michael, we don't want to talk about the past. We just want to talk about the future and what it looks like for you to move into the next year with uh, this organization. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, it's going to be kind of hard to reconcile if we're not talking about the past. But I mean, moving forward with the organization, I mean, that, that sounds positive. And again, I'm going to therapy and the therapist is trying to help me think the, the best about them and about what's coming up. And so, uh, and, you know, in the back of my head, like there was this whole wrestling, like, you know, I I had rejection issues most of my life. Am I, am I, is this just, you know, my abandonment issues coming at play and this is why I had this perspective or is there something really off and I'm just not seeing it. And so, uh, so doing the best to, to, to think positively and have the best expectation of those leaders and what's about to happen. And so my wife and I, we come to the meeting and, the ground rules have been set. We're not going to talk about the past. We want to talk about the future. 
And so they said to me, Michael, uh, we feel like you are called to do itinerant ministry, meaning traveling to other churches. I've been doing a lot of that uh, for some time where I would go to other churches and I would train in the gifts. And they're like, we really think that's where your future is. And so we want to launch you into ministry. And I'm thinking, uh, okay. And they said, so we're going to give you a three-month salary, sort of a launching pad to get that going. And uh, and then, you know, uh, we're going to help you get that get that established. And uh, and then after that, um, uh, we're going to probably contract you to come and teach in our school. Uh, they didn't say contract. They said, we want you to continue to teaching in our school and uh, in our in our um, internships. Uh, but as of today, you will no longer be the pastor of the church that you're overseeing. And I'm thinking to myself, what? Uh, and my wife has like, she reaches over and grabs my hand and I could see she is like suddenly feeling that, you know, fear of, oh no. And, uh, and my, my, I mean, I was, my stomach just in knots. Uh, I said, guys, in the real world, they call this getting fired, uh, getting a three month severance. And then you wanting to contract me afterwards. I said, no, no, this is absolutely not what it is. I go, no, that's exactly what this is. Uh, and I said, and where's the other person who's, you know, given you this decision, has helped you make this because I don't see them in here uh, because that person was not in the meeting. You're talking about the apostolic and, leader? Yeah. So he didn't come to the reconciliation so, meeting? So so he didn't. No. He didn't. No. Want to be present for all that reconciliation? Yeah. So you were told. Sorry, I hear that tongue in cheek. I apologize. I apologize. So you were told it's a reconciliation meeting, but he did not come to it. No, and the the reason they were given was so that that I would have a safe place to share. Um, but this wasn't really about reconciliation. But then you were told the the day, don't talk about the past. So what were you going to share? Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, so so I tell the guys, I go, go is this is this are you guys telling me that this is the reality? Like I'm no longer the pastor of my church or cause I thought this was a conversation about my future, but it sounds like you guys are telling me what my future will be. And they're like, no, we're not telling you what your future will be. We're just saying what it's not going to be. And I'm like, okay. So then my wife says, uh, am I fired too? And they say, what do you mean? She says, well, I'm the administrator for the church. And they said, oh, we didn't know that. So, so this group of elders, said, brand new elders were so unplugged yeah. from you and how your church was governed that they were able to fire you and had no clue that your wife actually worked at the church that you were pastoring. Um, yes. And they were, okay. Their, their exact words were, oh, we didn't know that. And I said, no, you guys don't know anything. None of you go to my church. You have no idea what's going on here. And you have told me so you're they, not going to hear my side of the story. They didn't go to your church. So they were no. elders over all like, of the churches over all of the churches. Is that and was that your campus structure? was not? Well, I'll be real clear. I have no idea what their elders over. I just know that they were firing me and that they they had been given the authority to do so. Um, how how and, like, what was your experience with these people before this? Were you like you guys shared meals together? You guys knew each other? Yeah. Uh, or... Two of them I knew, two of them I knew, two of them I didn't know. Uh, I had met one of the, the other ones and had no real interaction with that person. And okay. uh, the two that I knew, I mean, they barely made eye contact with me. 
Would, would any of them, uh, would anyone from that group, including the apostolic leader, dispute? Because it's one thing, feelings. We're talking facts here. Would any of yeah. them dispute any of the facts that you've shared? I don't think so. I mean, they, one of the leaders apologized to me in the meeting because he thought I knew I was being fired. He thought I knew I was being transitioned. And he even said, I'm sorry, this shouldn't have happened this but, way. Okay, but still... You, like you there's a difference have, between you, I knew you were being fired and I knew you were being transitioned, right? Because even even that that again that's like just prepackaged charismatic Christian language that tries to take the sting out of we don't want you here anymore. Um, the eye yeah. telling the hand we no longer have need of you. That's what that is, right? Like we've got a Bible yeah. verse for this. He's literally saying, "Hey, we've got a vision, right? And it's not make disciples, preach the gospel." teaching them to observe all the commandments. It's this specific thing and your teaching does no longer fits in with our specific thing. So this is the eye telling the hand no longer have any need of you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I would agree with that. Uh, I don't know if they would agree with that, but when it comes to the facts of the meeting, like did they, did I walk into a meeting not knowing I was about to be fired? Yes. Did some of them know, did some of them think that I was, that I knew this? Yes. Did, uh, did they, would they did agree they, that it was billed as a reconciliation meeting? Yes, absolutely. And I have the emails. You've got the like emails. I, that, that's, yeah, there's no, there's no question about that. Um, and so I think they knew that something bad had happened and that this was not the way it should have gone down. And one of the leaders was like, Hey, this is, this is the Lord's discipline. You guys just have two different visions. And so hold on the Lord's discipline. So like you send. Is that what he's saying? Well, I, I think he thought I had sinned because he thought that I had been dishonoring the apostolic leader. And that's what he'd been told. And whether he had examples of it or not, I don't know. Because again, I was never given the examples. Or at least I've, if I was given examples, they weren't made very clear. And 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 then and that's just one of the elders. One of the other elders would say he didn't even know examples of me dishonoring the apostolic leader. So you and asked the reason, in that meeting for examples? No, no, afterwards? no. So what happened afterwards? So... So that meeting finishes and suddenly we're just gone. I have to, I, I go on a mission trip. I'm actually taking a worship team from the community for this mission trip. I stay silent the whole time. They don't even know that I've been fired from the organization. I get back. I find out that they've had a leadership meeting with the church that I was overseeing. And in that leadership meeting, they told him, they told them, we, we tried to launch him into ministry. We tried to kick the bird out of the nest and he was offended and left the church. So I, I hear about this and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like that's, the story you're sharing. Um, so they reach out to me to have a real reconciliation meeting with me and the apostolic leader. So a month later, after I get fired, uh, I agree to meet with them. One of the elders is going to mediate one of the guys on that board. In that meeting, there was no reconciliation when it boiled down to it. Um, I was told that the way I was thinking about myself and my role in the organization was wrong. Uh, I, I had been saying that I was a, a founder of the organization. Uh, they said, uh, the, the apostolic leader said, you are absolutely not a founder. The way you're thinking about this is all wrong. Uh, he apologized for not being in the meeting that he should have. Um, and, but then he also told me, you're not a victim. Uh, you have been dishonoring me. And so I asked him, I said, can you please tell me what I've said and who I've said it to? He says, I've told you. And I said, Okay. Well, maybe I just didn't hear clearly, or maybe I've forgotten. Can you please tell me again? He said, man, you're just going to have to figure it out. And I think, okay. 
And so that, that meeting just went awful. They did give me some, they extended my severance and gave me a check uh, that, that helped with that, which was good uh, and, and good on them for doing so. Um, so I leave that meeting and I sit down with the guy who was supposed to mediate that meeting a couple of weeks later. And I ask him, I tell him my whole side of the story uh, about promises that had been made. Oh, that was something I didn't mention is that I've been made several promises and that those promises were reneged on. And I was told that he never made those promises. So there's a lot of that happening throughout the organization with a lot of people. Hey, Michael. So when I met with that, yeah. Let, let me let me just just for a second. We'll pick up right there on reneged okay. on some stuff. So I'm I'm gonna write that down in my notes. But BG has a question that I think is really important because we've been 50 minutes on. Uh, we've got you know almost 500 people watching right now that weren't uh-huh. here at the top of the hour that are like, okay, okay, what's the point? Like, why are we why are we talking about this? Just give us a quick reminder of why you're addressing the story. Why are you telling the story? BJ's question: How can testimonies like this help the church? He's like, I'm not discouraging this, right? Um, we we or trying to be contentious, but we do need to know. Again, can you remind us really quickly? Why are we talking sure. about this? Are we just sitting here complaining and whining about something that happened in the past, or do we think there's going to be an yeah. actual application to this? Yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. Um, so the the goal is to talk about how could something like this happen, right? right? What is going on in an organization that could could write this kind of story for somebody and, and create that kind of pain? Um, and I I think you know it's going to take a while to unpack, but but sharing these details about how a how a unilateral decision could be made to disband a board, a brand new board brought on, that board never having heard any side of a story, and then a major leader who helps start the church gets fired. Like, how does that take place? How can and, you have a vision okay that actually to, excludes members of the body of Christ? Exactly. That tells the hand, you know, hey, we have no need of you. Yeah. Um, if you if you get there, then you can kind of, then then the lessons afterwards start to make sense. So um, so anyway, I, I, I asked the elder, uh, what did I say and who did I say it to? And he says, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? Did you not ask him? He said, yeah, I asked him. I said, well, what did you say? He said, it was too painful to talk about. I said, wait a minute, you had me fired based upon the accusation and you never thought to fact check him? Like, well, that's awful. And he said, well, we didn't handle this very well. I was like, no kidding. And so, you know, the next several months were just sort of, a, you know, the next couple of years have just been recovery and still I'd say recovery. Um, But God had done some really sweet things in the midst of it, uh, which I could get into. But I think that that's kind uh, of hey, the end Miller, of it. That's, uh, that's I'm where curious, it though. So when it was announced, what did they say to the church? I mean, you 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 were the pastor, the church, and then you just you stopped were, being the pastor you were the overnight. Senior pastor of that yeah. campus. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Uh, did they you told them talk to the church? Did they talk to the church? Like what happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, man, this there's a lot to unpack. So uh, for those reviewing, like I, I really do want to get to the the why behind all of this, because right now it just sounds like a sob story, and that's not the intention. Um, they told the church that we just had a conflict, that it was a Paul and Barnabas, and just had to go our separate ways. Um, my side of that story was never told. Uh, I did go to the church at their request and just told them I'm sad about what's happened and. Uh, you know, I really love this new leader that's going to be overseeing you guys and sort of did the best I could to endorse him because he was a friend of mine. And then I, I quietly left and that was it. There was no, uh, none of the real details were ever shared. So uh, what do you think? I, I think there was some recognition that it didn't go down well, but that was about okay. it. 
I mean, what do you think should have been said? Do you feel like something different should have been said? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they could have, what they could have done was recognize that what they did wasn't right at all. Uh, but they never <laughs> they could did. Have, so they could I mean, have not done, I don't it, know. Not done any that of that. Would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is you have to have ground grounds in a church for firing somebody. Um, and one of the you grounds should. for firing somebody, you should. you should, one of the grounds for firing somebody is not for having a difference of vision. And, and that really gets into the major issue. The, the major issue behind it all was a top leader, uh, the, the, the leader at the top, the, the unilateral leader, right? That that's the first one. And then the second one is that that one leader determines the vision. And the third one is that you could have a vision that would be so narrow that people could suddenly find themselves on the outside of it, not fit. Well, well, and I think to your point, it, narrow enough to not include making disciples, right? Because you're saying it was about prayer and worship. So I, I'm curious, this will get a little into the ecclesiology. Surely they believe in making disciples, right? Like what? I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think they believe in it. They just think that other churches are doing it, and that's not what they're called to do. Right. So, so okay. So let's let's kind of get into that. I'm so, not saying I agree with it, but that that is kind of the 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 way it's talked about. So how did hey, this happen? Other churches that are doing this is great, but you, you talked about what we're doing the the. This is what happened to you. The very next set of questions is how did this happen to you? And you talked about a few of those. Um, tell me, you, you mentioned the, the, the guy at the top. Hey, I get to make the senior level decisions. I get to make those executive decisions. The ecclesiology made room for this kind of abuse. Now, yeah. now that being said, there are churches and I'll call it the benevolent dictator. They have that guy at the top, right? And he's actually mm-hmm. like a really nice guy, right? Like he's, he's really moral. He's really ethical. He loves people. He cares for people. He's humble, but he's still a dictator, right? And, well, like, and I would say that that was true here. Very sure. There was a lot that was right about that leader. Amen. And, Amen. And I, I, if I had been in the same position and had all the accolade that, that he probably gets, who knows if I would have not done the same thing to somebody. Like I have no right to judge them and assume that I would have done better. That's right. Um, I mean, just being honest here, I think I think it's the structure that really created yeah, we, the problem, we are, not that person's motivation. We're often a byproduct of the machine that, that we yeah. were raised in. So a lot of the church pastors that grow up to have these, these failures are often just byproducts of the cultures that they've been raised in. So, so to, to this point, in a sense, God saved you from this. Um, and I remember, yeah. I remember being with you um, and you being in a dark season going through this. Um, yeah. And I remember you coming to me the, the week after, because you went out on a weekend to, a, uh, uh, to go get some food with your wife and someone was picking up food for her and her husband. And she gave you a word, a word that you had heard over and over and over again. And it started becoming comical. Yeah, he should like tell, it, well, yeah, yeah, he tell should us tell that story. story. Because tell, I think that's, that was really yeah. redeeming. Were you going sure, to the, like sure. when he showed up to the restaurant? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell that story. So the day that we had the second reconciliation meeting, which was really no reconciliation, um, I mean, in all honesty, I think I was being gaslighted. I was being told that I was the problem and that I wasn't a victim. Um, And I was so in my head just thinking like, man, have I, what have I done? Like, what did I do? Like, clearly I'm the problem, you know, like that was, and Josh, you and I, you talked to, to me about this a lot because I would come to you and be like, man, am I just so off on this? Have I just... If I dishonored the leader and dishonored God oh, yeah. and God is disciplining me and, and judging me from whatever. Um, and if so, I want to be able to embrace that and own it and, and, you know, and learn from it and grow. And so that day, 
I'm supposed to go on a, a date with my wife that night and we, uh, but I was so in my head and so confused and it was just like this cloud, you know, and granted I've been sleeping two hours a night going, what am I going to do? I've got a, you know, I've got a, a two-year-old and a brand new baby girl. Like, how am I going to support my family? I don't have another job lined up. There's just a number of things that were just weighing on me. And, um, we just, I, she says, where are we going to go on our date? And I said, honestly, I'm, I'm pretty absent minded right now. Can we just go somewhere we can go for a walk? She's like, where do you want to go? And I, so I mentioned a place that's nowhere near us and it's sort of a downtown square. And she's like, well, why do you want to go there? It's going to take forever with traffic. It's probably going to take us an hour. You know, I don't know. I just want to go there. Can we just go there, please? And she's like, yeah, of course. And I think she knew like I was in a funk and there was no snapping me out of it. Um, and so she just sort of goes with it, right? And so we walk around, go into every single restaurant, nothing felt right. And I remember saying to her, wouldn't it be weird if we ran into this this old prophetic lady that I know? And she's like, yeah, that would be weird. And uh, and we knew that she worked in the area during the day, but it was nighttime. She wasn't going to be there. So the last restaurant we walk into, we just decided, let's just go there. We've been there once before. We walk in and there that woman is at the bar ordering takeout. And I'm, I'm looking at her and she goes, what are you doing? And she goes, first words out of her mouth. She goes, this is a divine moment. And I look at her and I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, now I know it's a divine moment. I just been saying to my wife, wouldn't it be weird if we ran into this lady? And she goes, well, I'm supposed to be out on a date with my husband. It's my birthday. And she's like, but he got a flat tire on his way to pick me up. And so here I am ordering takeout. And I was just praying and saying, God, what am I doing here? It's my birthday. And she goes, then you just randomly popped into my mind. And then no more than two seconds later, you walk through the door. And I'm thinking, that is weird. That is So I'm like on the verge of tears. She goes, what's going on with you? I said, well, you just happened to catch me on the worst day of my life. She goes, what do you mean? I said, I was fired from my job. And she goes, from the church? I said, yes. And she goes, listen, honey, this is the Lord. He's kicking you out of the nest you were too loyal and you would have never left. And when she said that, both my wife and I just cried because the words that were used, that, that were given to the leaders about uh, how they tried to kick us out of the nest and we were offended and left were such hurtful words to us. And it was so interesting because it was sort of God flipping the script, him saying, no, no, I'm the one doing this. I'm kicking you out of the nest. And on some level, admit that there was there was more for me, and, and I was meant to fly on uh, like a bird, um, and that that wasn't going to happen there. And so the other thing was it was a compliment, right? You were too loyal; you would have never left. It wasn't that I was dishonoring; it was that I was being loyal to the very bitter end. Um, and and I had six other prophetic people reach out to me randomly. None of them talked to each other. None of them knew the whole story. And they all kept saying the same thing. God is kicking you out of the nest. Literally those exact words. Mm. That's okay. powerful, Michael. Hey, um, I want to ask you, Michael, what um, it's very possible that some leaders from this, uh, the church that you're talking about would be listening uh, to this podcast right now. What would be your message to those leaders? Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I hope on some level that, that those guys would recognize that what they did was wrong, but not just to me, to others. Um, this idea that you could have a vision that would exclude people, that there's, there's no biblical precedent where you anywhere in the scripture, I mean, name one church that had a vision that didn't make room for everybody. Um that just doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I just can't imagine, you know, uh, 
uh, Paul saying to Clement, you know, you're really, you're really just not getting the vision in Rome. And so we want to launch you into ministry. Like that just, that's not a biblical argument. Um, and so I, I think uh, first and foremost, I, I wish you guys the best. I, I really hope that you'll repent from that, that uh, and that you would change the vision to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Um, I think, you know, my hope is that, that you would change the format from a single person determining vision to a plurality of elders where, uh, where there's, you, you may have a person that's sort of the face of the ministry that may be the first among equals, but I think that would be worth, uh, moving in that direction. And maybe you already have, and if so, forgive me for misrepresenting you. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what else. So, I mean, those are some things I, 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 mean, I want think- them to repent from. I think I think um, there's probably a public apology that is necessary in this. I mean, I'm I'm only speaking again for me here. Uh, when these kinds of things happen, and then we we change the narrative um, to cause it to be more appealing to our story, right? Keeps it appealing to our bottom dollar and our organizational structure. Um, we've manipulated the situation, um, and I think that's that's wrong, and it needs to be repented of. Um, Michael, you know, you you talked a little bit, and actually Dawson put together a study guide for us on it's just called NAR hermeneutics. Um, can you tell us, like, you even talked about, hey, there's one single leader, he's got apostolic vision. This apostolic vision overflows; it determines, you know, what we're going to do. All of this comes down to the way that we read scripture. Can you tell me, yeah. kind of, like, just a little bit about that, about the the NAR hermeneutic, we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show. Again, there I updated yeah. the link. If you just got here, it's it's in the description of the video. You can check that out, a, a more in-depth guide. Uh, but I really do think a lot of this, the sole authority in a local church isn't a senior pastor, it's scripture. And I just, I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, so the NAR hermeneutic, it's, uh, so there's a, a, a literary term called reader response theory. And it's this idea that you, when you read a book, the book reads you, not you read it. And so never mind what the author's intended meaning is. It's what is God saying to me right now as I read this? And so at this particular church, um, I was known as a teacher. And my goal was to teach the scriptures in their context because I felt like that was actually transformational and sanctifying. That in and of itself, the scriptures taught in their context have this intrinsic work of the spirit that are being done. It's a grace that happens. Um, but they're, it's less, they're less concerned with that as much as they are. What is God saying to us today? So, you know, you could read like a passage where about Zacchaeus coming down from the tree. And instead of seeing the magnificence of, of Jesus and how he has a word of knowledge for Zacchaeus, he knows his name. And I mean, you know, Jesus is not just uh, a prophet, but he he's omniscient and um, you know, like the real meaning being a message about Jesus and who he is and how he's willing to hang out with somebody like Zacchaeus. Um, the message would be, Hey, I feel like the church is Zacchaeus today. And they're all looking at Jesus from afar and he just wants to meet with them and meet in their house and, and really fellowship, which is a good message, right? We wouldn't disagree that, that we wouldn't say Jesus doesn't want a fellowship with us, right? We would say we would all be behind that. Um, so, but the problem is, is that the real meaning of the text is actually lost entirely. And mm-hmm. the only meaning that's given is some sort of prophetic spin on it. And the reason why that's so destructive is because it actually, in the very act of teaching, you're teaching people how to read the Bible. 
You're actually showing them a way to interpret scripture. And what you're, you're exemplifying is not learning how, what, what the author's intended meaning is, but rather learning how to read the book in such a way that you come up with something new. And to me, I think that's dangerous because it's very Gnostic. It's this idea that we can approach this secret text or this ancient text to find some new secrets to unlock new pieces of heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, was this ever something that uh, that you discussed with the leadership of that church? No, uh, that was actually something I didn't really understand until after I left, and that was probably because of the conversations that Josh and I were having. Um, you know, I didn't, I just didn't get it. I didn't get that that was. I mean, because Michael, you and I, we we do this on some level. We'll take scripture out of context when it comes to prophetic words, and so. Um, I just I saw it as well. Maybe God really is showing them well, this, and, and, and just that'd to be, be it. Clear. <laughs> <laughs> Michael goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't be throwing me under the bus like that." <laughs> yeah, you do that, don't you, Michael? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, you know what I meant. I, I know what you mean. But they don't. Hey, you should clarify. You should clarify. Yeah. Well, it it might be that you have a prophetic word for, like, to use the Zacchaeus example. Like, sure, we, we might say, like, maybe the Lord is speaking to me about somebody that, like. They have a Zacchaeus-like personality, and I might reference that story and sure. and and show how they have that sort of personality. And it's like this word of knowledge that God has given me. So I might make a tie to the scripture. And I think your point in saying that, Michael, is that like, hey, in prophetic ministry, sometimes you might make those kinds of connections. Yep. But it's different if it's the ongoing weekly teaching ministry of the church, where each week they're not getting scriptural exposition what they're getting is another prophetic word yeah and um and we're all on board for prophetic ministry but if it's just prophetic word after prophetic word after prophetic word but there's no instruction in the word of god or a very scaled back instruction of the word of god and particularly a training in a hermeneutic that says we're not going to worry about what the context of this uh, scripture was. You know, why is the story of Zacchaeus told here, and why is it told right. this way? And what's the, uh, you know, if that's not really important to us, and we're training our people that this is just how you read the Bible. So, I think that's what you're talking about. Well, but, but in addition to that, if you yeah. stand up in the Lord's Day every Sunday and you're giving prophecy and not scripture, and prophecy right. can be errored. Because you could right. be hearing wrongly, well, and then you're never teaching anything that I've is never authoritative. attended that church, but I, I'm yeah. sure that they would say we do teach the Bible. I think, yeah. Um, oh, everybody, every church thinks they teach the Bible for sure. Yeah, and this one included. And there are times when they did teach the Bible. So let's be clear about that. It's not like they never taught the Scripture in its context. It's just that most often it was some sort of new spin on it, and that is what we considered apostolic. Like to be apostolic, you had to be able to do that with the Scriptures. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's let's bad, let's get true. some let's get some closing thoughts in here. I'm gonna probably toss it over to Michael. Is there anything else that uh, our Roundtree? Is there anything else, Miller, that you want to to bring up before we we kind of put a bow on this? Yeah. So I think the the things some of this I knew on the inside when I was there. Like, okay, some problems here, but a lot of this I didn't realize it till after I left. And you know, one of them being a lack of plurality of eldership. Um, and, and accountability for the senior leader, yeah. the uh, lack of, of actual teaching of the scriptures and the, the problem with a vision that was so narrow that it would leave people out and leave a lot of people feeling undervalued. And, and something that I just, I would put out there because I'm sure there's going to be people from that church that listen to this and, and, and people that on some level, I actually feel like I gaslighted um, and need to own because when people would tell me they didn't feel valued, 
that they didn't feel like their gifts were being utilized, I would tell them, Hey, you know, you can't get your self worth out of your gifts. Yeah. And the truth is, is that they actually weren't being valued. And, um, and I didn't see it. I didn't see that the vision was actually excluding them. And, and for that, I'm sorry. And I regret that. And, uh, I, I want to own that as best as I can. And if there's somebody like who, who experienced that from me, please know that I, I, I want to do what I can to make it right. So please let me know what, yeah. what I can. Well, do. On, on that note, is there anything else Miller that, that you would want to say to the leaders of that church, anything that you would like to own? Um, you know, I, I'm sure I did talk to people that, that it, and shared things that probably weren't good for them to hear. And in my, you know, uh, or maybe they didn't need to hear it, that I should have kept it to more of a upper level leadership discussion. And so for that, I, I apologize. Um, yeah, trying to think of other things. And I know that in my bitterness after leaving, I, I've had conversations and, and said things I shouldn't have said out of pain. And for that, I, I really am um, disappointed in myself for that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm deeply sorry about that as well. And I'm sorry for the bitterness that I've had uh, in the last couple of years. And, and I, I just to be honest, I, I don't, I don't want that. Like, that's not something I'm proud of, nor do I want to keep. So, Mm. yeah well um thank you for sharing that michael um as i try to kind of put some thoughts together i think here's uh here's what i would say you know we kind of opened the program with talking about like you know why is this not just a scorned employee sharing his former employee sharing his sob story with the world it could certainly uh come across that way and and we had some discussion about that and miller one of the things i told you before we uh before we even agreed to do this show was you know, I haven't, you're my friend. I would naturally take your side because you're my friend, but I haven't heard the other side. And, you know, and so we kind of dialogued about that. But the reason uh, we agreed to still do this show is because, you know, I've been a pastor for 16 years and I, sometimes I feel like, you know, Wellspring has been this, this sort of place where lots of people have come and they've been uh, received healing from church hurt. And I've, so I've just heard so many stories over the years of church yeah. hurt. And uh, and as a pastor, it breaks my heart. And and hey, I understand even in healthy churches, there's going to be church hurt. And <laughs> if you're a pastor, you will be hurt. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. I mean, people hurt each other. And so so that's part of it. But but I've heard uh, a lot of hurt that that would truly be categorized as abuse. And one of the hallmarks of that has been this culture of honor talk where somebody is required, either required by a non-disclosure agreement, please never sign that from a church, or two, more informally, just highly pressured uh, to remain silent. And, uh, and then their spin put on the story. And I've just heard so many stories about it that, um, you know... <sighs> I, I just want anybody who's listening, who's in a situation like that. I just, uh, I just want to encourage you that like the questions that you've been having, like, like it's okay to leave, you know, it's yeah. okay to go somewhere else where they have a structure that is healthier. They have a structure where the culture is not, you must remain silent. You can never criticize like, Hey, and I know there's this other side, right? Like I, I don't think like I don't think it'd be a good thing if like everybody in my church was like, man, my pastor Michael really sucks, you know, like he's really terrible. Like yeah. that would be a really bad thing too. Like there's this really fine line between like 
okay, there is such a thing as you want to honor your leaders. Yep. Um, but honor doesn't mean zero criticism. So what does it look like? It looks like we go through the proper channels and we try to bring these issues up with the leader. And if the leader resists that, then we bring Matthew 18. We bring somebody else along with it. And if it's continually resisted and we're squashed and squashed and silenced and silenced, well, if that has happened to you, you're part of an unhealthy leadership culture. That's That's when it's time, honestly, to say it loud. Yeah. If that's what's happened, that's when it's time to say aloud. I mean, I, I just, I don't like that. I really don't. Right. I really want to honor. But I think that if you go through the proper channels, then it's proper to bring it up. And we've seen this like with the Ravi scandal and all of these other things. And I'm not necessarily putting this in the exact same category, but no. I'm just I'm just saying there's a culture of silence and a culture of protect the leader and protect the organization. And that's a sure sign of unhealth. And uh, and so we want to promote healthy organizations. And so uh, yeah. I want to encourage people, avoid churches where there's a culture of silence. Um, and, uh, and I want to say avoid churches where there's an ecclesiology of an opposite apostolic leader that has um, excessive authority over a church, solitary authority over a church, uh, uh, and be discerning enough to recognize when people are elders in name only, but not actual elders, pay attention to how the Bible is taught on Sunday mornings. Now, I'm a fan of exegetical, expositional sermons. I'm not going to say somebody's sinning when they preach <laughs> topical sermons or whatever, when we can have that debate, but if they are going to preach topical sermons, they still need to be expositing that topic, <laughs> expositing the scripture that over really, that topic. Yeah. And so the point is, are they using scriptural context and proper hermeneutics, or are you really just going and hearing a rah-rah sermon where a few Bible verses are mentioned here and there? And lastly, I know I've said a lot, but this is just, I think, some important final thoughts. Um, if the mission of the church isn't the same as what Jesus says the mission of the church should be, then that's a church you shouldn't be a part of. So for instance, uh, a prayer and worship church. Okay. Well, the church is called a house of prayer, but that's every church is called to be a house of prayer. Um, But if a church is going to say, and I'm not saying your church said this, Michael, um, I'm just saying any church. Okay. I'm saying if any church says, Hey, we're not so much about making disciples. That's what other churches do. We're not so much about community because that's what other churches do. We're about prayer and worship, or maybe there's something else. We're about making disciples, but we're just really not about prayer. That's what other churches do. What they're doing is they're saying, you know what? Certain purposes as defined by the Lord of what a church is, we don't want, we just don't do those because right. we have a vision. That's a business mentality locked into. I mean, I've read Good to Great too. It's called the hedgehog concept. And the hedgehog, you know, a fox, he can do lots of different things. A hedgehog does one thing really well. Well, and in the church world, we've adopted the hedgehog concept because Jim Collins says that works really well for businesses. And now we've applied it to churches and, well, hey, I'm really good at prayer and worship or I'm really good at this. And it actually works phenomenally at fulfilling that one thing. But I don't want to, as a shepherd, stand before Jesus and say, hey, well, Jesus, I just valued prayer and worship, but I didn't value community, and I didn't value making disciples. Or I just valued making disciples, but I didn't value community. Like, what Jesus says is the purpose of the church, that's the purpose of the church. And I, I want to come on the hail, the hail, the heel ends of that and say, Jesus is the shepherd. And your local church pastors, their job is to admit to his authority and fulfill his commands. We don't get to 
assume the authority of the high shepherd and determine what the vision and mission is. That has been determined in the Holy Scriptures by Jesus, our shepherd. Yeah. Everyone else is just an under shepherd. Unless it's a parachurch ministry, right? If you're young life, right? Hey, if you're, if you're in the radio, life, you can do whatever you want. Right. If you're young <laughs> life, go and do your ministry to high schoolers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if, it, you know, whatever it is. But like for a church, you know, the church is called to worship God. The right. church is called to build fellowship, to be the body of but Christ. But I'm also not the claiming... The church is called to serve. The paraministries aren't claiming to be a church. Like, I'm not... I am not They're not here, claiming to be, right. I'm not here offering communion. I'm not administering baptism, and I'm not doing church discipline. What happened at the church that Michael was at was church discipline was exercised outside of those grounds because they were led yeah. by another right. way. Right. Well, and, you know, we've had Brad Stroop on the show mm-hmm. from The Prayer Room, and uh, it's called The Prayer Room in... I think they're in Arlington right now. They've moved locations several times. We had them on a show a year ago. And one thing I really respect about Brad is he says, we're not a church. And he actually tells people, you need to be part of a local church. There's not anyone on his leadership team who's not also part of a local church. And he tells them to tithe to their church, and he gets the leftovers. Now, I respect that because that took a great sacrifice for him to say. But the reason he's saying it is he says, we're about prayer and worship. We're going to zero in on that. And it's not appropriate, it's not biblical for me to claim to be a church and get the financial benefit of claiming to be a church when I'm not doing the things that Jesus says a church is and does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Miller, you've got something to say in there. Yeah. You know, I, there's a lot that's happened subsequent to being fired. And, uh, I, you know, my wife and I, this was a painful thing for us to bring up, Uh and to share publicly and knowing that I'm probably going to be discredited on some level because of bitterness. Like that'll be the excuse to use. Yeah. You're going to and be gossiper. Sh- you're a gossiper. You're a slave. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a gossiper. I'm, yeah, I don't know, bitter. but let's hold our hopes high. Maybe this leads to yeah. good, healthy conversations. Well, I say that cause it's already been said. Like I, I've had, I remember one of the elders from the church and this is just a couple of months ago, reached out to me cause he was concerned about some doctrinal things. And he, that elder was told not to talk to me about the church or about theology uh, by the leaders, other leaders of the church. And and the reason was given was that I was just bitter and I would and I would be very convincing. I'm more convincing than anybody else. That's hard for me to hear. Um, that that on some level that's what they're being instructed. But but here's the thing: like you'd have to say that what I said today is actually not true. Like everything I said, that none of those things happened. Um, and, and that's hard. And I think there's a tendency, and I, I say this for all church leaders out there, um, make sure that you're not victim blaming. In other words, and this is this is pretty common. There's this mentality uh, from elders that we need to protect our own and protect the church. And so the person who leaves that's bitter and hurt is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there's truth to that. Sometimes there's not. And so the question is, is, did they have a valid case at all? Uh, and if so, um, do do we want to? We we got to be very careful that we're not blaming the victim for that. And this this yeah. happens all the time. I mean, the Me Too movement came out, and, and it was sort of like a anti-victim blaming movement. On some level, it was like finally these voices are being heard and, and their stories are being believed. So so uh, there, there's gonna be a lot of people out there. We I've got to wrap up. I've I've got to get going personally. But yeah. Um, 
when when Michael was going through this, there were three books that I was reading. We were both in a different place trying to figure out what we believed about eschatolo- uh, eschatology, ecclesiology, ecclesiology, and preaching. You need to figure out what you bo- believe about bo- eschatology. Bo- both of those things were things that we were <laughs> we were we were both really trying to figure out at the exact same time. And there were a few pieces of material that helped me out tremendously that I, I felt were also helpful to Michael. Um, whether yeah. whether he uh, he I know he read two of these or or, or one or two of them. Um, I, I definitely these these three I would recommend. So if you're out there and you're like, hey, I'm in this space, and there's a couple of you in here already that are like, I've had to relearn so much, and I don't I don't know where to start. There there are three books I highly recommend. One is Luther by Eric Metaxas. The question of conscience, the question of authority, and the question of the authority of scripture really fleshes out in that. And it's a historical it's a narrative. Book. So it's, it's interesting. Book. It's it's fascinating it's to read. Author. It's so well written. It's engaging. So it's like you see the the overlording leader trying to push down and crush and and the response of conscience in in alignment with scripture and what's our responsibility in it. Beautifully written. Uh, check that out. The next one is Nine Marks by Mark Dever. Now I don't agree with absolutely everything in that book. Um, um, but man, I would agree with 99.9% of it. And I actually recorded a 30 minute episode with Mark Dever that I have in the can that I haven't released yet. So you're going to see that coming out here pretty soon. Um, and another one is a plea for expository preaching. And that was written by like all of the gospel coalition and Amen. together for the gospel. I mean, it was like, there's like 37 authors. It's just, it's phenomenal. And it's a passionate plea for expository preaching um, by... <clears throat> everyone who preaches well uh like if they preach well they wrote that yeah. book hey um, i i want to i want to say one more thing okay, i know okay. we're trying to wrap up absolutely but i think my other exhortation to everybody would be don't give up on the church amen if you give yeah. up on the church you give up on jesus amen. the way you amen. treat yeah. the church is the way you treat jesus agreed uh you know paul's told you know jesus appears to him and says saul saul why do you persecute me like saul uh, could have said like I'm persecuting your church. Come on, But he bro. says, but you're persecuting me because whatever you do to the church, if you isolate from the church, you isolate from Jesus. Bro, keep preaching. You persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. And somebody might say, well, Michael, you guys are criticizing the church. Well, we, we're trying to be constructive. Yeah, We're trying uh, to build up the sheep because I have just counseled so many people who've been hurt by the church. And I and and I want this to be a purifying for the church. I hope for good constructive conversations to come from this. But don't give up on the church. And, and one day you're going to stand before Jesus, and you won't be able to say, well, I, I gave up on the church because it hurt me. Like, we've all been hurt by it. All of us have. If you've, if you've given yourself to community, you have been hurt, every one of you. That's just the way it is even in a healthy church, but don't give up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, man, I've got I've to mention this because we haven't mentioned it the entire time. A couple of things that I think is really cool. We've got a book club coming up. Um, that's in Patreon. If you're a, a member of Patreon, so it's five bucks a month, we're going to be going through Kingdom of the Cults. Uh, that book, we're going to read the first chapter and we're going to talk about it uh, this Saturday the 15th on Patreon. There's going to be a link uploaded to Zoom. We're all going to jump over to that Zoom chat. There's going to be a couple of points in that book that we're going to discuss as a group. It looks like there's going to be like 50 of you guys on that video that are interested. Uh, we've got hundreds on Patreon, but it looks like lots of people are going to be interested in that conversation. It's not too late to pick up an Audible or an audiobook or a Kindle uh, of this 
read, listen to the first chapter, write down some thoughts and discuss it with us this Saturday. Uh, there's also a lot of really great content coming out on Patreon. We're releasing a series on worship. Michael and I just finished the de- demystifying, not demystifying, where is that one? Uh, there we go. Yep. Demystifying the Gifts of the Spirit series that myself and Michael Miller did back in 2019. We released all six episodes of that Dude, on Patreon's Patreon. Patreon's good. Pa- the content that's on there, speaking of the We're topic, releasing a Theological Foundations. The, the Theological Foundations is coming out. My buddy in the comments, uh, Fruit of the Vine Ministries, name is John Davidson. He's got a real similar story to Miller. We uh, uh, we logged that testimony out there. We've just got really cool resources there on Patreon. Uh, and again, if you're out there and you're so broke, you're baloney, doesn't have a first name, and you've got to find a way to squeeze out five bucks each month, and there's a video that you're like, man, I really would love access to that, hit me up, media at theremnantradio.com. I'll send you the video for free. Uh, but man, if you can, this is the way that we do what we do uh, is from support like you. And we would love to to expand, to do more. Uh, and we can't do it without you. So we really, really appreciate your uh, your generous support, guys. Uh, anyway, that's it. Those are my thoughts. Tomorrow, we've got the Spiegel in the house. Doc, yeah, uh, Shepherd of Hermas. Shepherd of Hermas. It's going to be so cool, guys. Uh, this is going to be kind of a fun, kind of a fun, a really fun discussion. Interesting. Really interesting. If you're not familiar with the Shepherd of Hermas, real popular book in the first century, uh, circulated with a lot of the Gospels, uh, and it it was not a part of the canon. So you got to tune in to find out why. It's going to be good stuff. Anyway, guys, blessings. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We'll see you tomorrow, and we'll see you next week, or next week, Wednesday, when we talk about Jonathan Edwards and his way of judging revival movements. It's going to be good stuff. Blessings, guys. We'll see you next time. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.